I'm Dagny Forrest, a current member of the Slush Pile podcast team and an editor for PBQ. Slushies, we don't often drop the ball, but we're only human after all. And drop the ball, we did, with a delightful episode dedicated to the poems of Carl Mead back in late 2021. Sometimes, the universe conspires to help us make good when we slip up. We're so delighted to be sharing Carl's episode now, just as his new chapbook, Doom Inker, is released by Raven Chapbooks. We're sure you'll enjoy Carl's work as much as we did and want to check out that chapbook. and welcome to the Peter Bright Quarterly Slush Pile. So glad that you've joined us. Um, what we do here is discuss submissions and have a regular old editorial meeting right in front of your ears. And um, this way you get to see what happens between your clicking submit and you're getting a response uh, from most editorial magazines, we, we hope, although we're very democratic in nature. And that's the reason we do this podcast, so that you can see how we roll. Um, so we, 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 I'm using the royal we as usual, and I'm Kathleen Volkmiller, and um, I'm so happy to have such a full house today on the show, and I'm going to bounce it all the way over more than 6,000 miles to Marion Wren out in Abu Dhabi. Hello, Mayor. Hello, everybody on the call, and hello, slushies. It's Marion. I'm in Abu Dhabi, and um, while you can't see this, I will describe that I'm drinking perhaps a touch of whiskey from a tin mug that says John in the Wawa style logo because I am homesick. So dearest, dearest Philadelphians. Um, and I, I am delighted by the way um, to announce that homesickness because we have a colleague on the call um, who is from the Philadelphia area uh, and she's joining us as a special guest editor for tonight's slush pile, it's LJ Cisco, fresh from a, a residency, I believe, at VCCA. We'll have her entire bio in the show notes. Um, but I just wanted to say how thrilled we are to have her on the show. We've we've published her work before, and I'll turn the mic over to LJ. Oh, thanks so much, Marion. I'm so honored to um, sit in with all of you today. Um, I am from Wilmington, Delaware, so nothing quite as exotic as where you are, <laughs> um, but near enough to Philly to count as a Philly person. And I'm originally from Yardley, Pennsylvania, oh, which is sort of a Philly suburb. Drive over the bridge, LJ, and go to Auburn Road Winery. Have you ever been? No. Yeah, it's just over in New Jersey. It's one of the nicer... It's a very nice one. You can spend an evening there. They do some light food and lovely, lovely wines. Okay. Yeah. I'm writing it down. All right. Good. Auburn Is Rock. it Wilmington, Delaware, where all of our credit cards lived? Like back when we had snail mail? Yes. Oh, work. yeah. Yes. It's, a, it's mm. a fiduciary world center. Wow. So a lot of corporations and stuff are here. That's amazing. Which That's means great. I live amongst many lawyers. Oh. oh. <laughs> that could be good or bad. The sonnet was invented by a lawyer. And then I, I, I geographically, should we go 
up to New York, I think we should go over to Baltimore. I'm hey, feeling Baltimore's <laughs> neck. Hi, Baltimore. Hi. Um, my name is Samantha Neukebauer, and I am an MFA student at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, and I am originally from Philadelphia. Um, I will send us to New York then um, to Jason. Oh, hi. Um, yes, it's Jason. I'm in Tribeca. I'm back in my office. It's wonderful. Um, it's really nice. Uh, yeah, stressful week. I am so overwhelmed trying to like sort of get to everything. Like there are like literally three things I'm supposed to be at right now. Wow. And this is the one I'm at. With oh, my I love you for undivided that. attention. Yeah, we're very <gasps> grateful. Jason just had a move too, and moves are very stressful. But my new apartment's beautiful and it looks out on the water and the light is really nice. And there's exposed brick and uh, it's really, really nice. Yeah. Um, and I will, I will stress, I will in my stress, pass it to Alex. I'm Alex, uh, Alex J. Tony, like as I publish. Um, and I'm out on Long Island as I'll, I'll play up the accent a bit as we're doing strong accents here in the past few podcasts. Um, and it's been Long Island since the day I was born, except for the three and a half years spent in Albany. So, uh, <laughs> and uh, I'll hand it over to the people who make this podcast run uh, in the background. Uh, either one of them on the pipe jump in. So, <laughs> I'll start. Uh, I'm Larissa Magano. I am one of the senior media technicians um, at Drexel that helps produce this podcast. Um, and I am in Philadelphia, which you probably can't hear on this call, but there's a fight going on outside of my window, and it has oh been God. for about an hour. So I don't have any John paraphernalia, but I do have active live fighting going on outside. <laughs> That's bizarre. I'm so sorry. Is it, though? <laughs> Is that a rumble? A rumble? Uh, you know, I don't, I really don't know, but I think when this call is over, I might just go drive by and yell, Girlie's not worth it. I, cause that's all I can tell that's happening, it, but it's been going on for a long time. Um, and, uh, so I'm in Philadelphia, I'm in West Philadelphia specifically. And, uh, finally the person that really does all the work <laughs> right now, um, our co-op Harmony. Hi, I'm Harmony. I'm also in Philadelphia right now too, in university city. So yeah, basically put together the podcast from behind the scenes and it's been really fun working on this so far. Oh, I'm so happy Thanks. to hear that, Harmony. And Harmony is a former student of Kathleen's. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm curious, Harmony, do fights happen outside your window? Um, in South Philly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. See, it's not that far-fetched. <laughs> <laughs> yep, see, it doesn't phase us. <laughs> I feel like everyone's a lot angrier since, like, lockdown. And people are much more, like, in the street angry. Like, mm. I feel like a lot of the stuff that used to be behind closed doors, like, I now see... Like the streets of Brooklyn mm -hmm. got really uh, tense. Mm -hmm. I saw a lot of stuff that I was like, oh, okay, you're going to sleep in my tree pit. All right. I've been seeing people on Twitter say that New York is really New Yorking again. Um, yeah. So I think, I don't know if that's the anger or what, but <laughs> yeah, I think people are coming back in full force now. I feel like I'm that cartoon baby. That like crawling around the girders and like is about to fall off one, but then another thing is there because I just like, la, la, la. I was literally just talking about feeling like people are nicer, that my dream of 
post-lockout had come true, that everybody's kind and holding doors open and joining conversations. And oh my goodness. You're what do you think song? that is? Are you in the I think it's you. Like your <laughs> energy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just like brings uh, everyone in. All the hazards. Or utter fucking denial came out. No. Although, I like that no. you called it lockout instead of lockdown. I know, it's lockout. Like, lockout. I, I, I might start using that lockout instead okay. of lockdown. Yeah. Did I yeah. say lockout? You said lockout. It was awesome. I was like, that's that's the best. Interesting. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know. We see what I don't know. Rose colored glasses, cartoon babies. <laughs> Um, but what I do know is that I'm really, really happy uh, to see all of your smiling faces, even be it on Zoom, because we can all be here together from all these different places. And that's another lovely thing that we're taking with us from lockout. We can gather together. Um, and I am so thrilled that we are going to be discussing the poems of Carl Mead. Thank you, Carl, so much for allowing us. We have three poems by Carl Mead to read and discuss today. And um, I think we should jump right in. And I think, Jason, you took a, a, a glance at these, right? Or Marion, you Marion, you're the one who mentioned Beach Fall, aren't you? Yes. And can I read it? Would that be okay? That's why I'm yeah. asking, baby girl. Yes, okay, yes. Good. And, and I'm, asking, I'm, all, I'm mildly trepidatious in this because, you know, I might get raptured. The Wi-Fi is a little sketchy. So if I bounce out, it's not because I don't. Um, I feel like you haven't been raptured in a long time, but I'll be right. your Selma Louise. It used to happen more often. Right yeah. right. Pray, on, pray on that. Okay, ready? Beach fall. So beach fall for Holly and Terry. Mountain to stone, prairie to sand, redwood to ash. From here, I can see the heart of the sea, but not the beach he fell on. I can see the picture window you sit in, waiting, watching the shore, iPad in lap, short-haired Flossie at your side, the one who dug your dad's water bottle from under him. I don't know why you brought his suitcase to his wake empty, what it was between you. Only he knew the words you could not say, the doctor's words for you, nonverbal, spectral, sent him back to rage. He said they weren't worth the hair on a dead chicken. That autism was just too much self for them to take from you. He knew what his raging love could do. Four hours a night on the couch talking through your iPad. He called himself Manitoban, the prairie farm boy who watched his dog run away for three days. The rain man to lead you out teach you how to mouth the O, oh, the awe, ah, and holly. Yes, from here, I can see the redwoods fall, the mountains decay, his seabed. They say all the big hearts of the earth love where they fall, that his heart stopped before he hit the beach, but we both know why his mouth was full of sand. <gasps> thank you, thank you, Mary, for that excellent meeting. Now, slushies, you might hear a moment of silence. And that is what we like to call the sound of thinking. Um, but I always ruin that thinking because I keep talking. And I tell you, slushies, that you can go to pbqmag.org and look at these poems on your own, on your very own screen. 
um, so you can read along, uh, take a gander. This is in couplets with really long lines. Um, for those of you who might be driving or walking or something and can't go up. So I, I just want to jump in and say the first time I read this, I felt a little resistance from the poem, right? Like it actually, it felt like it was pushing back and the line breaks weren't um, like propulsive. Uh, they were a little like, just like prickly, right? And then when I got to the end of the poem, that image of, you know, someone falling dead with, with an open mouth, the poem sort of cascades back on itself. And then and you realize, right, that the, the speaker or describing the death of somebody who speaks in the name of his child, right, in this moment of falling. And then the entire poem just sort of, I don't know, it just constellates in a, in a way that, that gives me a double pleasure, right? Like it just made that difficult reading pleasure on the way back. And I'm just kind of stunned by how that worked. I mean, a lot of times when the lines sort of are so uneven, and particularly when they kind of stretch out like that in the middle, so the lines get very, very long in the middle. Um, it's it's a sign that the, so like, I mean, for me, the line has to be shaped to the phrase and the phrase has to be shaped to the line, right? And a lot of times when the lines become really irregular or kind of go long, one has the sense that that isn't happening. Um, and that sense of resistance, um, I was feeling too, but the way that the poem circles back on itself um, and the way that the poem is sort of setting up the ways in which being strong is very close to being weak, that a lot of times that we think that, like in the moments where he's, the ferocity and the resistance kind of indicates a sort of unitariness of, or a, a, a unified personality um, that's often easily mistaken because it's so close to being on an edge and here like that edge is so literal. And so the way that it circles back um, to the suicide um, that, that's, that's set up in the opening, right? I mean, it's like, you know that it, it happened at the very beginning and yet when the end circles back to it, it feels revelatory and surprising. Um, and I was, I was really struck by that, the way that, it, that the poem kind of pulls you back to somewhere that you knew you were starting and it's still such a shock. Yeah, so Jason just said something that I that occurred to me that I had not read it that way. So the death of this particular character, I did not necessarily read as a suicide. Um, right. And I don't, I'm, I'm now manically looking at the poem to see uh, what clues I missed. <laughs> because I think what I presume to have been the case, kind of plot wise, was that there was some kind of catastrophic heart event that the character's heart stopped before he hit the beach. Um, and as Marion said, his mouth was open. So he was, he was busy. He was in the middle of life's business and that this really lovable guy was such an empath and was so absolutely available to his daughter and a warrior for her um, and that he was sort of felled in the middle of his um, vitality, um, which continues to kind of stun the speaker. Like, yeah. I think I, I'm impressed by the degree of difficulty of this poem, just from a narrative perspective. There are four characters introduced in the first three stanzas 
I, he, you, and Flossie, <laughs> if we count Flossie. Um, and so, and there's so much not knowing in the front half of that poem that I was so relieved when we got to, he knew what his raging love could do. There was finally somebody who knew something and was kind of charging forth. Um, and so his death was difficult to hear about. Um, and then when we circle back, as Marion said, the speaker is kind of obsessed with the way the person died with the suddenness of that death. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I, those, that last line with why his mouth was full of sand, I just get chills every time like I've, I've think I'm the one that read this the most times and um slushies just to be clear we don't discuss at all usually one to two of us read and just really say to one another yes podcast worthy right um but there's so much about words only he knew the words the doctor's words for you he uh, he said he talked for four hours right it's all about um the person who dies and his uh, love in the form of words and his rage uh, in the form of words. And that, so that last line, what we both know why his mouth was full of sand, just um, gives me chills. It's a big kind of ranging poem, right? It's a ranging, raging poem. And that, uh, I think that Jason is the thread that I saw through, you know, that, I was still surprised. I was still thrilled, you know, by that ending. Why is his mouth full of sand? I don't, I, I mean, I love the image. I think it's really beautiful, but I'm not, I'm not sure I really follow. So as I, as I read it, it's because he was like, he, I'm, I'm with LJ. I don't think it's a, a suicide as much as like a catastrophic heart failure. And in that moment, perhaps of recognizing he's dying, he's, speaking his daughter's name, right? So yeah. if I look back at the, um, the dedication for Holly and Terry, right? The, the pronunciation in the middle of the poem, right? Um, teach you how to mouth the O, the awe of Holly or in Holly. I'm imagining that that's the sound he was making in the moment of his death. He was actually calling, speaking his wow. daughter's name, right? Wow. Which, is, which is borderline, super sentimental, right? But this is so like, um, like or, or neatly presented. It doesn't, it, you have to work for that. It's like the, it's like the sweet center of a Tootsie Roll pop. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not the first, it's not the first thing that, that yields, right? And then, but once it's there, oh, right? Like what a. And you know what, Mary, you, you just took that to, uh, I agree with LG too, and I kind of agree with you. I didn't think necessarily it was her name, but I just thought it was an expression of love of some kind. Like, I think LJ was intimating that he was still um, talking, at least doing life's work, which is loving, right? And that line right before they say all the big hearts of the earth love where they fall. Um, so I just, I just thought he was at least talking. But you're right, that holly right above it, we do have the O right above it. Either way, I'm happy. Alex, you look like you wanted to say something. Oh, yeah, just I, I, that O, the all part, 
I kind of, that sparked me to reread the poem, see where those sounds pop up as well. Like it, it's not a lot, it's not overdoing it and not like, oh, did you catch this? But it did, I, I was kind of thinking about the sound of the poem too. And also just for some reason, like iPad also strangely fits in this poem. Cause like, I, I don't know, it just, it's a weirdly pleasing sound in the context of this poem. There's like a lot of, a lot of vowel sounds, just the, the O, the ah, the I, just a lot of, a lot of that going on. I, I don't know where I'm going with it, but just it, it, the sound is also well constructed in this poem as well. That's what I'm trying to say. What about autism? Why is autism written that way? And that is also the ah sound. Right. So and autism and hyphenated, italicized and hyphenated slushies. Right. Yeah. A-U-T. It's, it's it, yeah. So it's autism that there's there's a kind of space in the in, in the autism that, that, no. that there's an unfamiliarity that it never becomes a kind of um, familiar thing that it never becomes something that's like acceptable or kind of in the fabric of life. It's this sort of like foreign borrowing that just always kind of like he's never really going to accept as meaning what it's supposed to mean. There's some, there's a kind of inversion when, when he starts to be characterized, he becomes the autistic character. So the, he watched his dog run away for three days, which I was a little bit confused by, but then the rain man to lead you out and the you there I'm thinking is the daughter, but rain man is a, is a reference to someone who is either autistic or who has that kind of uh, set of behaviors. And so he kind of takes on those characteristics in order to kind of rescue her from her experience or to, to mentor her along through it. Yeah, LJ, and that sort of points back to the speaker's bafflement and curiosity at the empty suitcase at the, at the wake, right? Or like just, it's just the, the gesture of bringing Right, the empty suitcase is kind of baffling, and then that's sort of part of this image sequence that leads the speaker to um, a celebration, really, um, a kind of awe at this at this person's death. Yeah, I don't get either of those things. The dog running away for three days—how you can watch a dog run away for three days—or the empty suitcase. But I don't mind that I don't get them. But I don't get them. Well, it's funny. I don't think the speaker gets it either, right? And I, and therefore I do. It's like the 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 reaction to this person's death has people spun spun out, right? And right. and if one of the people addressed in the poem is this person with autism, then the then the gesture is perhaps inscrutable to us, but makes perfect sense on the logic of the relationship with in in that neurodiversity. Like, of course, you're going to bring an empty suitcase to a wake, right? Like. Of course you are. And of course the dog is going to run away for three days if it was the dog of this person who just died, right? Like, so again, like, I don't think the speaker tries to explain it, but weirdly, as the reader, I get it. Like, I'm somehow in the logic of this universe in it. And, and again, with line breaks that made it difficult to enter into the universe, but now I'm in the universe. And it, and it resonates. It, it, it makes, it coheres. Mm -hmm. 
I'm still thinking a bit about like how heart is working in this poem. I feel like, you know, on the second line, we get heart of the sea. And, you know, I think we agree because we're told that it, the heart has stopped. Um, but I'm thinking about um, like the expression. I, I'm not familiar with this expression about, um, they say all the big hearts of the earth love where they fall. Um, and I'm not sure if you were all familiar with that expression. Um, Never and heard so, it. Yeah, so, so I'm trying to think about what it means to be in the heart of the sea. And, and I know Manitoban, you know, that means they're in the center of Canada. So that kind of feels like a heart um, and they're in kind of the center of this problem. And it seems to be saying like, you know, to, to kind of love what you're given to love where you fall. Um, but I'm trying to just think about like how those things are connecting with how language is being used. Um, and then I also, I agree with Alex about iPad. Like sometimes I think technology can really overwhelm a poem when it's used um, or it somehow becomes about technology. But the poet here manages to mention iPad twice. And for me, it doesn't distract me in any way. So. So for that, I, I really applaud it. And I think that um, what you were talking about, the sounds, um, Alex, actually reminds me of that, that Manitoban word, that, that kind of that I in those, in those two words. Um, so I, I think I'm just still kind of like sitting with it and trying to figure it out. Well, that's unfortunate because I was going to ask if we're ready to vote. <laughs> Only because we have two more. Before we vote, I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, Samantha, that, I think the question about the title, Beach Fall, right? Um, and all, all the great, uh, what is it? The great hearts, uh, big hearts of the earth love where they fall. That for me triggered tree fall, right? And it or, or whale fall, like not beach fall, like beach fall strikes me as like a description of what happened to this person. They fell on the beach, right? But it it's written in a way to suggest tree fall, like when these big, you know, um, trees fall and then they they sort of rot into the earth and that creates the ecosystem. And the same with whale fall, like the dead carcass of a whale, like sinks to the bottom of the sea and it feeds the the environment in which it lands so even though you know the, the poet isn't specifically referencing freaking you know overstory the powers novel like i've got that coming with me to the reading so it's so it it sort of it sort of it ripples out to capture that ethos perhaps but that's that's me bringing it right to the pattern that's emerging mm -hmm. you know Okay, thank you for that. Now, shall we vote? Okay, okay, do it. One, two, three, vote. <laughs> I'm having, oh, I can't. Um, it's not in. Fascinating, fascinating team. Awesome. All right, well, let's look at the next poem Christmas break. Can I read this one? Can I read this one? Can I read this one? Yep. Yep. Christmas break for Doug and Arlene. The earth heaves, the ice cleaves, 
erosion cuts the heart from every stone. While every night I watch you drive your family past a starving glacier, turn from a truck laden with salt. You head off the head on, take the bumper to the heart, leave your family straining your lungs last words from the floor of the minivan. I'm on the floor beneath my desk, straining to plug in the phone that I will blame for years. Why did I plug it in? Every night, I watch the driver's stoned eyes, petrified as your broken daughters in the back. Every night, I piece you all back together. Break, I say, turn over and over while the glacier leaves its terminal moraine. I gather the stones, offer them to the moon, the last witness to your last turn. I turn to your wife, try to face her head on with what the earth knows. Core to crust, mouth to lung, the rupture comes, the rupture stays. Every Christmas, she wakes to the words, break, turn. Great reading. Really gorgeous. That opening is amazing. Um, the earth heaves, the ice cleaves, erosion cuts the heart from every stone. And you can sort of hear how the rhyme, like, because I always, I'm always trying to explain that, like, most of the pleasures of rhyme are actually in rhythm. And, like, yeah. the earth heaves, the ice cleaves, erosion cuts the heart from every stone. And the way that it kind of moves from those like two really strong spondies to that kind of, what is it? Is that an iambic lilt? Erosion cuts the heart from every stone. Ah, it's gorgeous. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's Turkey actually. Erosion cuts the heart from every stone. Don't, don't pin me down slushies. <laughs> Just listen for the and enjoy them. But I love that iambic lilt, right? Um, yeah. Can I? Can we just move into the to the plot of this poem? What the heck happened? It's gutting. It's brutal. I get a little bit lost in the the narrative, right? Like, wh whose phone was that? And what triggered the accident? Alex, it looks like you have some clarity. Well, yeah, because I was confused at first too, and I'm still like, don't fully understand I feel like there's these people in the car their family they're somehow related or something their friendship family and the weird part where I'm on the floor beneath my desk trying to plug in the phone that threw me the first time but as I'm imagining this it's a phone that's away from a person who's elsewhere it's like there's a call happening and they're just not at attending their phone and so maybe the speaker feels a certain way, just like a very, um, what's the word, kind of superstitious, like, oh, I should have been the phone because that would have changed something. I'm not fully, if it feels like a car accident, and I'm not sure how severe it is, because like that, that's kind of lost in it, but I'm also not sure it matters to me, like the full, if I get the full picture, there's just enough imagery working together that I'm like something happened like the the images work so well together that I'm I don't feel like I need to be completely 
in the um, the plot of it. There's right, right. Mm-hmm. If we're asking for plot, my read is that uh, the father of the family that's in the car dies. Mm-hmm. And um, that's the leave your family straining your lungs last words from the floor of the minivan. So the, the driver dies. The driver was the father. Not sure if the daughters are also gone because they're broken. I think they're also injured. And I think the wife survives. That's why every Christmas she still, you know, wakes up thinking break, break, turn, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And the and I agree with Alex that that, why did I plug it in? The phone, the phone is a superstitious thing. I think it, I yeah. think that's, that's the heart. It's the only nut I can't crack all the way, but I think that while that's happening, this is what the speaker was doing. And, and somehow there's some kind of connection that I don't quite grasp, but it's a superstitious thought that if I hadn't done that, they wouldn't have had that accident. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe delayed them a couple more minutes, called them before they went on the road, you know, cause that, that when you think about when you have an accident like this in your life, that's what you think is 10 seconds, either direction, it wouldn't have happened. Right. If we were 10 seconds earlier, 10 seconds later, but you know, if, if the speaker made a call, I mean, that's projecting a lot, but that's, that's where I go from it. I have the feeling that the speaker was not in the vehicle, right? So they're reliving it. And I just really love how the title is working in this piece, because I think that like, break is working as like the holiday and then also you know as as the daughter is broken and then also as like kind of this break in their life where you know there was the time before and the time after this accident um i i think it's i think it's really um it's really strong in in that way and i like the repetition of every night every night yeah and then the change to it being you know every christmas um I wasn't really expecting that. I actually forgot about it being Christmas by that time. So, um, so I thought that was like a, a keen reminder. I've been talking a lot about trauma and literature uh, in my classes. And then sort of like the two hallmarks of trauma are one that it, it's an event that won't stay in the past. It's an event that sort of like keeps being relived, even though it should, um, even though it's in the past, it keeps happening. Um, or being experienced. And then uh, related to that is that it resists narrative coherence, that it's an event that can't be made sense of. There's no beginning, middle, end. There's no start and then finish. And so like, I felt like with this poem, it, it, it felt like it was, it was sort of like all the hallmarks of trauma that it keeps happening right. and that it keeps not being a story. That like mm-hmm. over and over again, whatever it was, I mean, clearly there was a car crash. I mean, clearly, you know, this this truck went over the side of the road and smashed into the um, moraine, um, which is a, a kind of rock pile. Um, mm-hmm. And and so like, like all of the pieces are there, but it, it's so fractured and shattered and so um, unbound from time that it, it, it felt really evocative to me. And I... I sort of felt like the the ways in which it didn't cohere were actually a strength of the poem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and you you mentioned moraine, and I like also the word terminal moraine just sounds 
fund is not fun but like it falls out of the mouth pleasantly i guess is the way to put it and also terminal is kind of doing two jobs there too with like it the end of a life but also it's the sorry i'm on wikipedia looking at what a terminal moraine is just so i have some idea it's the maximum advance of that that debris of a glacier so i i a lot of pieces are connecting or at least connected through a web of words and images it's really strong it feels like um you know in the aftermath of a glacier's very slow scrape across the earth it leaves that rocky scar Mm. and i think to jason's point the trauma that's being relived there's there's a juxtaposition in the poem between things that move excruciatingly slowly which is the grief that replays and replays interminably and then the accident itself and all of the characters involved in this are trying to exert control over that moment to try to avert it Mm -hmm. and experiencing the futility of that um, repeatedly I do think it's interesting in the two poems that we've covered so far, the way that geography is used and kind of leaned on um, Mm -hmm. as as a kind of anchor. Like it is, if what we know to be true about life is that loss is inevitable, um, we can look around and and feel some comfort in what, what we see, what we know to be true about the physical world Um, But that even here, the earth is heaving and ice is cleaving. Um, That jump cut that inserts the speaker from under the desk feels like a big heave in the poem that that sort of, you know, nothing is reliable. I think Jason said, you know, there's an incoherence to it. Great stuff, LJ. I think, and I think building on that, when uh, when he gets to every night, I watch the driver's stoned eyes, petrified as your broken daughter's in the back. Nobody saw the driver of the other car's eyes, right? And I think this also speaks, it's a leap, like you're saying, LJ, and like Jason says, it doesn't make sense. Like you're trying to fill in these holes of the narrative. This this friend of the person who died relives it every night and has and uh, fleshes out everything, right? This movie just replays. And, and he has to, at some point, think of the perspective of that other person, you know, of that driver. Yeah. I don't know if I should say this or not, but I'm gonna. So when, uh, when we used to work with students all the time and they would say, how do I know a poem's good? I would say, do you feel punched in the gut in a good way? And do you have an immediate inclination to share it with somebody? Do you have a, you've got to read this, you've got to read this. And those two things absolutely happened for me with this. I, you know, the, the gut punch is real. And I did immediately turn to somebody else in the room and say, you've got to hear this. And reading it aloud, I could barely get through it, to be honest, the first time I read it aloud. Um, it was, it, it, to me, it is so... Moving and evocative and visceral. I wasn't sure about the title. 
I heard what Samantha said earlier about um, feeling that it was effective. And um, this is one of those comments. I feel like maybe I shouldn't make this, but I'm, I'm, I, it feels a little bit tonally cute, like the pun to me of break. I just don't know that it's apt. I, I was curious to hear what others thought. Would you feel different if it was called like winter break? I feel like that's less, like it, there's still like, I hate to say pun because pun doesn't sound right in this context, but winter break seems less tonally far away than Christmas break does. Yeah, to jump in there, I just said everything I said about how, how moved and affected I was by this poem. But that title, I do have that same reaction that, I mean, again, maybe it's just the juxtaposition of what we think of when we hear Christmas break and what happens on Christmas break, you know, that that would be uh, the rationale I would use for this author. But I do feel you, LJ, on that title. Is it too much of a tonal shift? But for, for the rest, I must also say it's it's. I'm so impressed with the rest of it. I would not punish it for that title. And most I would ask the author if he could think of another one. I don't know if I even need to. I will, I'm, I'm gonna uh, jump in here on this too, because I think if, if, we do, if we do edit the title, right? We're still able to capture what Sam, Samantha mentioned there, right? Which is, the repetition of break, break, break the whole way down, plus mm -hmm. the juxtaposition images feels a, like a kind of jangled um, storying, right? The juxtaposition feels broken in it. So it, it, it we're able to like capture and retrieve that, right? Um, and preserve it, even if we do suggest an alternate title. And um, in looking at the poem, right? This is this is space for the um, poet to do the work. But you know, the, is it is it that the first line holds the title, is there, um, you know, even, even like, not that I want to give away the last word, break, turn, but even like turn or heave, right, would be, would, would, would point at the momentum of the poem rather than the, the, like the time period of the poem. But, but again, this is always the thing with these, with our editorial sessions, it's like, it's an editorial session, not a workshop, right? right. So I was just yeah. thinking that. Yeah, I like Christmas. You, know, like, okay. you work your workshop. Yeah. yeah, right. I like this. Which is not a bad thing. Yeah. You can't help it. Starts with a cut. Head. Ends with a cut. Christmas break. Like it's like a right. nice sort right. of. Oh. I like I like yeah. the rhythm and the sound of it. Yeah, I think it's trying to solve for the kind of lyrical incoherence of the poem itself. Oh. That it's, mm -hmm. that it's striving mm -hmm. to be kind of a tentpole title that places the reader, that makes it a little bit more accessible to the reader, either mm -hmm. places us um, physically, geographically, or temporally. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it, that's, that's my guess as to why it is, um, you know, named that way. I, I just, you know, the, I, I suppose the sort of expectation or the connotation of Christmas break and then what we're given feels a little bit manipulative to me. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, but I hear everybody else's feedback too. Yeah. Should we vote? Should we vote? 
Is we it thumbs time? Yeah. One, two, three, vote. Oh, it's in. Oh. <laughs> I, I have to, I have to um, put this on pause while I do a happy dance. <laughs> Why would you pause it for the happy dance? on pause or on mute, I, right? <laughs> I, I think I think the happy dance is like a crucial piece I was of yelling, for reasons way too long to get in on this podcast. I've wanted this poem since like March. I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm so glad awesome. there's many reasons to, uh, you know, let us to not be able to discuss it until today. And I'm so, so glad. I love that poem. Ah, great. Great. Okay. I don't know, guys. With, right. How long, um, Harmony, do you have an account for us? How long have we been chatting about Carl Mead's work? Um, the meeting right now? Yeah. Yeah. It's going on 55 now, but I think we started around 10 o'clock, um, 10 minutes, so probably 40. About 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you guys want to uh, do do meager? Jason has a heart out in a few minutes, so he won't. I wanted you to read though, Jason. I can read it. Um, okay. I can okay. read it. Okay. Okay. Um, Doom Eager. And it's in these kind of stair step lines across the page. Or not really stair step lines, it's sort of a, um, it's almost as though the stanzas were snowdrifts that have been blown in a kind of pattern. <laughs> They're just going to have to go to the page. You're going to have to go to the page and look. If you're, if you're driving or running, um, just imagine that the stanzas are snowdrifts. <laughs> Doom eager. Because one of us took a spike to the lung, a minivan to the chest, hit the beach with his heart to say nothing of the one whose only breath was broken water. Because I believe the hand, the wound, the moon is how I show you where I fell through the hole I thought I was, diving for pearls, through the green fuse of ice in my dream of you. Because I run naked through the forest on a moonless night with a penlight in the hand that broke my mother's heart waning at the seed of light. The moon won't show me because its dark side calls all of us. Because I believe I'll find your heart in the east, your marrow in the moon, fever just before the sun rises. I'll swim for it all day, forgetting how the earth turns east, south, west, circling all night, forgetting there is no moon in the new moon. Because the only way out is the hand on your chest. I walk the shore all night, dream back the back of the moon, because the only cure for the wound is the wound. Thank you. Do you want to read that little postscript? You want to read that little postscript? I can. Um, it's, a, it's an asterisk that comes after the um, title. And it says, after Ibsen, Graham, and Moore, an Icelandic term for the isolation, restlessness, caughtness in artist experiences when sick with an idea. Caughtness. That's, that's a great word. Doom eager. That's the definition of doom eager. So we just revisited poems one and two in that first stanza, right? The mm -hmm. ending is so strong. Um, the only cure for the wound is the wound. The wound? So yeah. strong. 
it really just all builds towards that moment. And it it does it even in the penultimate stanza with there is no moon in the new moon. And then for the wound, is the, the only cure for the wound is the wound. The, mm -hmm. It's stunning how that um, aligns, right? Uh, rhythmically, sonically, and on the page. Yeah. I thought this was the strongest of the three poems. And I really felt struck by this one. Um, it felt like a litany in the first stanza of friends who've been lost um, yeah. to some pretty horrific circumstances. And so what I was inferring was that the speaker is either the lone survivor of a group of friends, um, or at least feels left behind by the deaths of those people. And so he sort of spends his time ranging through the night looking for what's been lost um, only to never find it. Well said, LJ. And I, and I think that litany of, of the beginning is, um, man, it's like a 360 of, of loss and grief because to say nothing of the one whose only breath was broken water sounds like a miscarriage, right? Um, or a child that didn't make it, right? And so it's, you get this whole sense of like adults dying, but then also this other, this other loss that's sort of pervasive and suffuses the, the entirety of the poem. Wow, I, I saw, I did not see a child. I thought it was just a person who drowned, but your only breath was water. That's, that's yeah. interesting, yeah. So just loss, loss, all these yeah. different losses. Yeah. And I have to tell you, I'm a curmudgeon, right? Like I'm not, I'm not big on poems spilling across pages or snow drifts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I <laughs> hear you. I'm, crank, I'm cranky about that. Like, you know, I, I, I read poems, you know, for PBQ and I open up, I'm like, oh, is this one centered? Is this centered justified? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and, and yeah, like I was just reading some poems recently by the poet, um, Tashani Doshi, and she's she's been doing some interesting things with with center justified poems, and it's making me realize like I need to like back down that crankiness and 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 just enjoy the poem as it spreads across the page, um, because I think it 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 does as like I think it does deliver on the promise of that definition of doom eater, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, it is absolutely the sort of spreading and cascading, right? Of this um, caughtness, yeah. restlessness. The caughtness, absolutely. Yeah. And, and the moon shows up in every so much, right? And, you know, and of course works so beautifully with so many of the other words, um, like wound, but it's not in the first stanza, but it's such, the moon is such a character or a presence here. Um, somehow... I found the mother's appearance in the third stanza a little bit confounding. My mother's heart. I liked the idea of running naked through the forest on a moonless night with a pen light in hand. You know, the pen light to me was pretty evocative. It's such a tiny light, so it's really not going to help you much. 
Um, if you're naked in the forest. On a yeah, I mean, to what and, end, right? And, but the hand is what broke the mother's heart, right? So that's fascinating. I agree with you, LJ, like mother's wa- heart waning, but in the, the hand that broke my mother's heart. Yeah, I mean, I, I wondered if it was about, you know, the commitment to artistry. I, I, I might be freighting pen light a little bit too much, but the idea yeah. that there is a pen in the hand of the speaker, um, you know, I don't know if, what we can infer about the relationship there between the mother and, and the writer, but sorry, Mary, and I, I stepped on what you were going to say. No, no, I was just getting all excited and interrupting you. Apologies, right? It, I, think, I think what you're showing me in that space too is, is the, the weirdness and wonderfulness of the line break. My mother's heart waning at the seed of light makes me, makes me want to go speed of light, but it's seed of light. The moon won't show me. So, and that, that, and the moon there pushes me back on waning, but it's the mother's heart waning, not the moon waning. So it, it does this sort of like, like, like in not just like layering and cascading, but like integration of these images in this, in this way that is um, almost like a little macrame, like these things are tied together, but they're not tied together with a bow, right? Like it does, it does resist um, an easy interpretation. So it, it, it does this evocative work of like, oh, okay. <laughs> that is like some straight up fertility slash death slash right um procreative imagery unleashed there yeah i think uh with the line like your heart in the east i was thinking the same thing um and this idea of um us using often not just poets but but people in general using kind of the natural world to explain ourselves all the time and kind of us looking at the natural world and the and like the idea of the the natural world just being infused with us at all times um i think is the idea of, of macrame like you say marion is 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 such an, an interesting one in this poem um and it, and at times it's almost the poem is is swimming and it's moving and you know it has this interesting form and you can almost feel like you're in this like misty forest. You, you feel that, but then like when you're really paying attention to it, you, you can see this macrame work and, and it, and it is working really nicely. And I just have to say, I wanted to not like it. <laughs> right. So well, sorry, well, because of the shape. Yeah. Right. Like it's because of the shape, like it pushed me sure. out, but boy, if you with it, like it, 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 um, it's really beautifully sculpted you know um so i'm sure it's like what you tell your students right you're you're taking that's that's i i would say you're taking a risk for exactly that reason Mm is because you're not the only one a lot of people are just going to react when they see them on the page and think oh how clever are you you know (laughs) well um so it's a risk to build it that way but then i feel like it does work it it forms a function for sure on this one yeah. I have the opposite experience, Marion. Um, I center justify a ton because I've no. been creating self-portraits. <laughs> wow. And so I've been like tightening them down and, you know, justifying them so that they're in frame. 
Oh, nice. And then I started writing landscapes um, and they range across the page in exactly this way that Doom Eager uh, is. Okay. So it was a kind of signal to me that the way in which we had been coupleted in the first two poems, um, that, that the poet has sort of broken out of that mode and is now on the loose <laughs> <laughs> and in yeah. geography, you know? So this one yeah. feels like a quest kind of. Interesting. Yeah. That's great. Oh, look at that. Is that silence continued thinking or time to vote? Right, let's let's vote it up. What do you think? Oh, and Jason left his note with me. So I'm gonna throw two thumbs. Okay, okay. You guys double <laughs> all, right. All, right. all right. One, two, three, vote. And it's in. Carl Reed, thank you so very much. I'm, I'm thrilled and honored to have these poems in PBQ and, and our group here. So, um, wow. And, yeah, and I just also wanted to say, thank LJ for joining the conversation. Yeah, you are welcome. Thank you welcome. so much for inviting me. It was really fun. Oh, please come back. Fabulous. Yeah. Fabulous to have you on board. Yeah, yeah it was really wonderful. Thank really you. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. yeah. Thank you. All right, slushies, let us know how we're doing. And uh, one more round of applause for ourselves and Carl Mead. And yeah, I guess that's it. Thank you. Well, thank you, everyone. And, and good luck, Larissa. I hope there, people aren't chucking knuckles on your, your porch anymore. I closed the window, but I, I, think, they've, I think they've resolved it now. <laughs> okay. Or left, at least. <laughs> Main Streets of Philadelphia. Yep. Yeah. Bye. 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 Keep reading. Bye.